Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. What I'm qualified in is knowing that I don't love well. Um, and, and maybe that the word allows for me to, to be reconciled to that there is a way for me to love better. Um, and so maybe that's where I'll start with that. Um, because I, I really think it's, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing about the word is that it often reveals more of our hearts um, than maybe we care to uh, really show other people and even really know about ourselves. And so I've often found that in, in preaching uh, the word and in getting opportunities to speak, it's been opportunities for me to learn more about where God can challenge and direct and change me more than it is about, oh, I know this, here you guys go. It's more about often me seeing Christ and, and, and how he works in the word and being like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that very well. Um, but Lord, I know that you can change my heart and direct me and guide me into a better way of living that looks a lot more like your kingdom and a lot more like the love of Christ. And so with that, why don't we pray before we get started, uh, direct our, our hearts and minds to him. So Lord, we are... Lord, like there's an enamoring that comes with just knowing your love for us. There's this overwhelming feeling of what it looks like to see the kingdom in action, to see what love looks like. Lord, there's, there's an appeal to it because it's so refreshing. It's so um, different than the way my heart feels towards people and the way that I've often seen people treat other people. And so, Lord, when I see your love in the word and when I see your love in action, through your bride, Lord, it is, it is consuming. It is uh, just like a, a magnet. I'm drawn to it. And so, Lord, help us today to be drawn to your love. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I did ask Scott if he would, uh, you know how normally we have a little bumper song, and I asked him if he would play um, What is Love, Baby, Don't Hurt Me, but he refused. So um, anyway, so if you can think about that for a second. Okay, all right, now we're good. You know, Matthew 22 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 29 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Love God, love people, make disciples. You know, these are three statements that are easily recognizable in, in the Bible. The first two being the two great commandments, the, the last being the great commission, and all three given by Jesus in his earthly ministry, all being displayed throughout the entirety of Scripture. These three statements, six words, a, a mission by which we now lay claim to. Um, and there's simplicity in these words, right? Love God, love people, make disciples. I've often found like the, the really simple statements are the ones that are probably the easiest for us to remember. Uh, there, there are statements that allow for us to go, yeah, like, let's do that, um, and they're even relatively simple in defining what it means. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us exactly what love is. But often in three statements like that, when you look at them, you go, wow, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> love God, love people, make disciples. You know, last week, Pastor Scott shared his heart, not only his heart, but the heart of God towards us, to be loved and to be known by a God who wants us to be most satisfied in him, who wants us to understand his love for us. And I was thinking, like, what, what just a, a magnificent picture of how 
God works in our lives. Today, as we look at love people, we could easily go through a litany of passages, whether it's 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which literally defines what love is, or 1 John 4, which ties love for people to love for God and that they can't be separated. We could look at the command passages of Matthew, 12, or Matthew 19, 22, Mark 12, Luke 10, John 13, John 15, Romans 12, Romans 13, 1 Peter 4, and Leviticus 19, and easily see, wow, this must be important if God keeps commanding it over and over and over and over and over and over again. We can look at the examples like the Good Samaritan, Ruth and Boaz, Paul's love for Timothy, the prodigal son, David and Jonathan, we could keep going on. And ultimately, when you kind of get to that picture of when, like if you go to the back of the, your Bible, it might have all these words that are listed out, and you might see love as one of those captures, and it's, it's literally just page after page of just all these references to love. And I was just overwhelmingly reminded of how important this conversation about love is. And I was reminded, as, as Scott was sharing last week, we really have overused and undervalued the word love. And yet, when we look to the word, we're reminded that of all the things that exist in the world, all the words that God can use, he says, love never ends. And even when it's compared to faith and hope, which I think we place such on high pedestals, it takes preeminence. It takes the first place. And so it's, it's of, of interest because I feel like it's such a word that's so easy to define and yet gets so lost in translation as well. And so I think the, the reality of, of our situation is that it, it, it's interesting. Words can sometimes feel like we almost have like a negative feeling towards it because someone else has used it a certain way that we don't like or whatever the case may be. And yet God specifically says to love people, to love him. And so it's important. That's why it's easy to put our mission and as our slogan to love God and to love people. It's relatively easy for us to say love God and love people. And yet it's the entire reason that Jesus had to die for us. Because we, on our own accord, could not love God and we cannot love people with the type of love that God looks, the type of love that God has, the type of love that he's looking for. And so we get to this point where we go, like it's a, it's a simple statement, it's a simple thing to think through, like love God, love people. And yet it's the very reason that Jesus has to die is because in order for us to be reconciled to God and to people, in order to love them well, something else has to happen. It's the Romans 7 dilemma. A war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. The law, the written code, was written that we may know the holy nature of God and the sinfulness of our hearts and thus the need of a Savior. Yes, that is the NCC question and answer. The law was written so that we might know the holy nature of God, his love for us, that we might know the sinfulness of our hearts and thus a need of someone to reconcile us back to God and to people. And that person is Jesus. And so we have to get to that premise first before um, uh, that we're incapable of loving God and people by the standard set by God, realizing that if we try those things on our own, we're always going to be at war with ourselves because we're always never going to be able to do those things. If we're not first reconciled to God 
And then because of that, then to be able to allow God's spirit to work in and through our hearts and our minds. When we're able to establish that point, we can proceed with how much we still have yet to trust in the spirit's work in our life to love God and to love people. After 18 years of sweating out Burma's heat with a furlough and six years without a convert, after suffering imprisonment and torture, Adoniram Judson would write that he never saw a ship sail without wanting to jump on board and go home. While Corrie ten Boom met one of the former prison guards from her time at Ravensbrück concentration camp, she was met with his question, will you forgive me? And she stood there with coldness clutching her heart. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth sharing that he was completely overwhelmed, beyond his strength, that he, even the spirit of life itself, even thinking he had received the sentence of death, being with, met with the burdens of persecution. After serving people, I felt as if I was being made a servant by those very people I served, inwardly struggling with how far I might be willing to serve if all they wanted was a servant. All of these people, including myself, believers in Jesus, being met with the decision of how to love God and how to love people in all types of circumstances. Our stories are littered with these different decisions that were met with, different circumstances, different opportunities to, to be met with challenges in our life. How will we continue? How will we take the next step? Who will we place our trust in? How will we respond? How is God growing and transforming us? Adoniram steadied himself in Christ with this remarkable postscript. Life is short. Millions of Burmese are perishing. I am the, almost the only person on earth who has attained their language to communicate salvation. And he continued on. Corey Tim Boom, in response to the prison guard request, prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. The Apostle Paul would go on to write in 2 Corinthians, he has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. He, we have put our hope in him that he might deliver us again. When I struggled with how to serve others, I was reminded by a brother in Christ, do you truly desire to serve people only when it's easy, or will you stop when they make you feel like a servant? Look to Jesus. You see, the reality of our lives is that Life is not easy at times. I, we're always met with these things, these moments, these decisions, these opportunities, whatever you, whichever way you want to look at. In our lives, we're, we're, we're met with who are we going to serve? How are we going to respond when, when people don't act the way that we want them to act? What are we going to do about it? What's our next step? Because the reality is that, look, we all have reactions to situations, and sometimes they aren't very pleasant. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we're mad. Sometimes we're, we're upset and just uh, debilitated by whatever it might be. We're all met with these things in life. Just as Joseph kind of shared earlier, we all have these moments, these circumstances where, you know, the rain both falls on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to both those who follow Jesus and those who don't, and yet we're all met with the same type of response of how are we going to serve? How are we going to step forward in this? You know, the easiest passage to go to on love, especially uh, loving God and loving people, is, is 1 Corinthians 13. And so I just want to share that briefly. And in some ways, I want to let it stand alone. Um, 
You know, I, I actually talked to both Scott and Joseph about this because love God as a sermon, love people as a sermon, and make disciples is, is probably about as broad as you can get when writing a sermon. <laughs> and it's like, okay, do I have five hours or less? Um, because literally you could go through, I mean, and, and here's the reality, is that in this sermon on loving people, it will be very shallow because there's no way to get to the depths of what it looks like to really love people. And yet I just want for us to capture a little bit of the essence, a little bit of the principle about what loving people looks like. And so 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant. And I stop it, that's the first verse by the way, and you're like, okay, am I patient with everyone? Like is that, okay, no, not all the time. Okay, love is kind. Yeah, I wasn't very kind this week at all to my kids in this way. Or that person driving down the road, I, I mean, maybe it wasn't kind to them. Love does not envy. Uh, it's not boastful. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm arrogant. Man, okay, okay, next verse. Uh, okay, next verse. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Oh. Okay, God, yes, I hear you. It is not irritable. Oh. Have you been a parent, God? Like, come on. <laughs> It does not keep a record of wrongs. But God, they did this to me. You don't know what they've done to me. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is what love is. So that's the question to the song earlier. What is love? You know, that's it. And so, I mean, we could take a lot of time going through this, but I, it, there's a standalone piece to this that I, that I want to allow it to kind of soak in and allow for you to think through this. And, and really, I would say after today, go home and, and read 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of those passages that, interestingly enough, like you hear it one time and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know about that. And then when you read back through it, you're like, oh, no, I don't know about that very well. It's amazing how the Word can often bring... Literally, I could, every single word that, you know, love is kind and patient, and you go, man, last week was not good for love in my heart, in this area, in this area. I don't know about you guys, but when I read 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, I'm really struck with how impossible it would be for me to love the way God has called us to love if it were based on my own actions. I can remember when, um, when we first took in uh, our little girl, uh, and um, I, I can remember Jennifer and I really feeling compelled and called to, uh, to take in a, a child who, at that moment in time, really didn't have a place to go. And I can tell you guys that my patience lasted about two weeks before it went past my flesh. And what I mean by that is, like, I could tell that in some areas I was really trying to, to love this little girl in my own power. And what I realized is that um, after week two, um, I, I, and I really, before week two, I needed Jesus, but I really needed Jesus because if I were to rest in my own abilities, it's never going to work. I, I'm never going to love her the way that Christ has called me to love her. And so the last year and a month now has been just this incredible journey for my wife and I, where I, I've always said if, 
If you want to know your heart, get married. And if you want to really know the sinfulness of your heart, have kids. And then if you want to know the utter depravity of your heart, take in a child that isn't yours. Um, because there is so much inside of here that I didn't realize existed. Um, this is a moment where I'd say there's a really cool story uh, that, that Joseph can share about rats and C.S. Lewis. And if you're, that interests you, go talk to him afterwards. Um, and so I think when I really get down to, like when you really read the word, there's this distinction of what love means between what the world offers as a, a definition and what the believer offers as a definition. And I think the distinction really comes down to is that it's not that we as Christians are better at loving people. It's that we realize that we can't love people. That we can't love them well outside of what God can do in us and through us by the work of the Spirit. Any love we have is God's love, which was poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5. So the question remains, like, how, how do we love people then? And I think the first thing is this. God must change our hearts. One of the beautiful promises that we find in the Old Testament about the new covenant that will come, which we now know is Jesus through the work of, the, of his death, burial, resurrection, and then allowing the spirit to come and dwell in our hearts, is that he promised us a new heart, a new spirit, one that is both a present reality but also a promise of a continued work in our lives. In this transformation, we now have not only the desire but the capacity through the spirit to be obedient to God. And that's the real distinction. The Romans 7 part is saying, the law was written so that I would be revealed my sinfulness. The Romans 8 answer is that God gives the spirit, which allows us to no longer have to live by the flesh, but by the spirit. And that's the distinction that takes place for us as believers in Christ, is that the transformative work that happens isn't by our own efforts and by our own standards and by us being obedient to the commandments, but it's the capacity through the Spirit's work in our heart and in our lives that we might live by the Spirit. Amen. God is faithful in completing the good work that he has started. It doesn't mean that we don't put effort and energy into that relationship, though, right? It's not a, well, God saves me, and okay, well, see you later. Like, I'm just going to go on this path, and God's going to change me. It, it requires the relationship that exists both ways, but God is the one who is doing the work, molding and changing you as you take step by step in faith and obedience and trust in him. We have to put in the time, energy, and effort. All things that are important in any relationship that we have. And we were going through our parenting class right now. And one of the things that I'm realizing in my life is that I need intentionality. I, I can go through my life with my wife and we can just kind of just put it on cruise control. And we might have an okay life and there might be some good things that happen. And like I enjoy the ride with her and sometimes things go bad, sometimes they're good. But what I'm realizing and one of the, <laughs> the difficult things is that I, I love being comfortably lazy slash like just sit down and relax and not have to put effort into it. And I think we probably all can agree to that to some extent in different relationships. But for any relationship to grow, there has to be intentionality in it. There has to be time and effort that's put into it. And so those are things that, that, that God's really revealing to me in like a, more of a depth. It's, it's almost as if, you know, 
year by year, I'm learning a little bit more and a little bit more of what that looks like. So, but we need to put that energy and effort into that relationship still. But God is the one who gives the fruit and the, the growth that takes place in it. And one of the things that I want to encourage you in, in this aspect of, of our hearts need to be changed, as God does the work of giving us a new heart and a new spirit. And it, and it took me a really long time to, to realize this, but don't waste your sin. Don't waste the emotion. Whenever emotion is stirred up, whenever you sin and you see the evidence and the fruit of that sin, it's an opportunity for you to go to the cross. It's an opportunity for you to seek the Spirit to say, what's going on in here? Why, why did that come up? I think it's far too easy for us to dismiss like, oh, just this thing just happened or like that was out of character. You hear that all the time with like sports players and you're like, no, that wasn't out of character. That was you like being relaxed enough to show your sinfulness. And that's true of all of us, by the way. It's not just a, a, a shout out to them. It's a, it's a shout out to us. Like when the emotion stirs and we have this outburst that happens, what's, what we're really saying when we say that was out of character is I've been hiding my sin long enough and well enough that it's never flared up before, and I feel embarrassed that my sin was displayed for other people to see. And so I think we have to rethink through this idea of sin and say, sin is an opportunity for us to grow in Christ. In context, by the way. But I hope you guys understand what I mean by that. When, when sin does happen, when emotions do flare up, for us to say, God, what, what was that about in my heart? What, what's going on in my brain? Like, that, like is there something... I know there's something, but what, what is it? Like, seek, search the inside of this, right? I want you to eradicate this infestation of sin in my heart. I want to, to be rid of it. In doing so, God will continue to work in our heart and heart, a love that knows no bounds. I think the second thing is, so the first is God must change our hearts. The second is, Act as if you already do love people. One of the biggest temptations we have in our life is to live by our emotions. It's to live by how we feel in any given moment, in any given situation. Look, the, the command that comes to love people, it's, it's really simple, and it's the reality of what Jesus offers. It's the reality of the word that we're called and commanded to love people. A few examples. I give you a new command. Love one another. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. The first commandment, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The command isn't attached to whether we feel like it. I, I think that the difficulty here is to not make love this mechanical thing that just, okay, I've got to love everybody. Like, I think what it is, is it's really often easy for me to pick up people I like to love and to go past people I really don't care for. C.S. Lewis said, love in the Christian sense does not mean an emotion. It is a state not of the feelings, but of the will. That state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. But through natural liking should normally be encouraged it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become charitable is to sit trying to manufacture affectionate feelings. Some people are cold by temperament. That may, be, that may be a misfortune for them, but it is no more a sin than having a bad digestion as a sin. 
And it does not cut them out from the chance or excuse them from the duty of learning charity or love. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. But whenever we do good to another self just because it is a self made like us by God, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least to dislike it a little less. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. I think there's a lot of truth in the aspect of, you know, one of the things that, um, that's been shared with me many times throughout my walk with Christ is that there are times in which, when maybe there's that person that just really annoys you. Let's be honest, we all have that person. Maybe I'm that person to you, I don't know. <laughs> but I think there's this, there's this aspect of being able to say, man, that person really rubs me wrong. And to say, God, I know this person is made in your image. And to pray on behalf of that person. It's amazing what God can do in your heart when you start to pray for someone, when you start to give these, these little showings and signs of love that are mechanical maybe at first, but that over time allow you to, to begin to see them differently in the image, made in the image of God, uh, broken from the sinfulness of the world and yet still loved by God. When Corey Tim Boom, and I, I'm going to be sharing quite a few stories the rest of the way from Corey Tim Boom. If, if, if you're interested, it's, there's a book called The Hiding Place. Uh, Corey Tim Boom was, was a, um, a prisoner in a, a concentration camp during World War II. She was housing Jews to help them uh, from uh, the Nazis, and her and her family were believers in Jesus. So when Corey Tim Boom was met with the prison guard that I kind of shared earlier, who helped in her experiencing her greatest moments of shame, distress, despair, hopelessness, she said, and I stood there with that coldness clutching my heart. She said, but forgiveness is not an emotion. In the same way, love is not an emotion all the time. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. On a kind of a side note, she talks in some other interviews about how even this experience, which would probably be one of the most amazing experiences in the world, she would say years later, I still had to mechanically forgive people because I still didn't want to do it. The third thing I think that's important for learning how to love people is to pray to see people like God sees people. One of the things that, when I, when I did youth ministry, there was this phrase that I would use, and, um, and it was, we have to see people the way God sees people. And so whether that means seeing people who are not believers in Christ and being able to, to to love on them the way that God would want us to love on them, to be able to share the gospel and the good news of the hope that we have in him, 
or whether it's a brother and sister in Christ that we might be able to encourage and, 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 and really share a hope that they can hold on to and cling to and a joy that they can rest in. Because I think it's far too easy for us to walk around through the lens of ourselves, seeing people and all their issues and all their stuff, often seeing our own sin in them, because it's funny how we often like get frustrated at people about stuff that we do terribly wrong. And so, God, help me to see people the way that you see people. In the way that you see me. As made in the image of God, yet broken with sin, yet desiring to be reconciled to him. Desiring that we would all be reconciled, that the kingdom might come and it might look a lot better than it does. I think it's really easy for us to kind of... And I make statements like this. The world is broken all around us. And then we almost use that as a cop-out to be like, that is terrible people over there. They do all this stuff. And if they would just do it this way. And it's like, God, would you give me fresh eyes to see people the way that you see people? It's not a thing of taking away like, like there needs to be justice at times. There needs to be judgment placed on people for the things that they've done. There needs to be accountability and all those things. It doesn't mean that. Right, in the same way, like when you're dealing with your kid, it's like, I just love you, even though you're like smashing your sister's face in or whatever. Like, no, like there, there are times in which discipline needs to take place, which is a form of love, by the way. We can't get there. But what I mean is it, it, it doesn't just mean like this, like, ooh, I love everybody, right? But to have eyes that really love people the way that God loves people, rightfully. So what does loving people look like? I think it looks like having a kingdom perspective. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One area of my life that, that God has really revealed to me as of late, and one that I know to be true, really, of our church here in America, and is that yeah, it's really hard to give thanks to God in every circumstance. And maybe the question is, like, how does this connect with loving people? Well, I truly believe that we get so caught up in our circumstances that we aren't giving thanks to God for everything in every moment and opportunity. And the next verse of 1 Thessalonians 5, and one that I, I, I fear in my own life when I reflect on his word, is give thanks to God in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. How can we love people if we're so consumed with complaining? How could we not stifle the spirit if we're so overwhelmed with our own lives and, and so just wrought with just this attitude of, why isn't it me? Why isn't this happening for me? What's going on in my life? And I... And I and I want to take a moment and say, like, that, that doesn't mean that there isn't real things going on and that there, there isn't a, an aspect in which we're seeking the Lord in this. But by golly, I think we complain and grumble about a lot of stuff that doesn't mean anything. Amen. Guys, God wishes to use us. And here's a few examples. I think many of us are worried about what stage of life that we're in and we're worried about what goals and plans that are on hold. We, we, we wish we could fast forward through part of our life. We, we, we see how people are causing us problems and, and how systems aren't in our favor. 
Maybe we aren't making enough money or, or maybe worship isn't the way it used to be or I don't like that way that that's done at the church or, man, people aren't doing this and that for me. And, like, we could keep going on and on. and Like, it's stuff at the church. It's stuff at our work. It's stuff in our home. It's, it's stuff in the world. We don't like this politician. We don't like that person. Guys, I, I don't know how many days I go through my life where these thoughts cross through my mind. And we could, it's like the great, one of the greatest ploys of, of Satan is for us to complain so much about our lives that we miss what God's doing right in front of us. And that's where I say, I think one of the, the most important aspects is for us to give thanks in everything. When Corey Tim Boom and her sister Betsy first arrived at Ravensbrook, they were quickly met with the dim reality of their new home. What I want to preface before I, I go through this next part. It, look, I, I don't, I'm not going to say like all of us need to go to a concentration camp so we can figure out like, you know, how we can be thankful for everything. All right. This is the reality of our lives right here. This is our lives. So think through this through the lens of what this looks like in my life. They were quick, quickly met with the dim reality of their new home. The rooms were overcrowded. They were supposed to have 400 people in their barracks. They had 1,400. The bedding was rotten. The smell was unbearable. The fleas were overwhelming. The conversation she had with her sister, Betsy. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? And Betsy's answer is, his answer is to give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. And I stared at her and then around, at me, around me at the dark, foul, arid room. Such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, you, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as you're holding, what you're holding in your hands. It's an amazing story, by the way. She was able to bring in a Bible where they, they, they would strip them naked and, and make sure that they didn't have anything, and yet she was able to bring a Bible into this camp after multiple people had searched everyone else except for her. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy, thank you for the very crowding here since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jam, cram stuff, packed, suffocating crowds. Like, it's almost like you can feel like the, just the, the spiciness there. And she says, thank you. Betsy went on serenely for the fleas and for the fleas. <laughs> this was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. She said, give thanks in all circumstances. She quoted, it doesn't say in pleasant ones. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. Later, there's an answer, and here's the reality of our lives, is that sometimes we don't get an answer. Later, after Corey and Betsy had been able to share God's word and message of hope in Christ with thousands of women, they would find out that they were given so much freedom from the guards while in the barracks only because the guards hated the fleas. You know, my, my wife and I have, at night after the kids go to bed is when we get to sit down and actually talk a little bit if we don't fall asleep really quickly. That's me, by the way, sorry. That's my confession. Um, and you know, those, those are often the moments where it's really easy to kind of get into the worries of the day, right? Like, oh, man, this was so hard, or man, this predicament that we're in is so difficult, or whatever it might be. And, and, and a conversation that, um, that's been one of recent, somewhat through 
kind of reading through some of these things and, and preparing for this is just, man, God, like, what am I complaining about? What am I not thankful for in the circumstance? Like, what's, what circumstances have I, I've been just frustrated at because I, it didn't line up with what I wanted, yet you're going to use it for your kingdom and your glory and for my good? And I think that's a real question for all of us is, what are things in our life right now? Maybe it's your budget. Maybe it's uh, where your kid's at at school or whatever it could be. Maybe it's the church. I don't know. Like, where's an opportunity in our, for our life to say, God, thank you for this, even though it doesn't look very good and maybe I don't like it? I'll share a story. Well, um, at Love, Inc., um, there was one morning I went to Panera, and it's really funny because I was complaining about something, and this is where the story goes. God has a sense of humor. Um, I was, um, I don't often go to Panera for breakfast, and one of the things that, that I didn't like was that they stopped putting cream cheese on the bagel for you. So, like, it's an easy thing to complain about, right? I mean, I'm not the only one, right? Well, because you're, you have an everything bagel that you're trying to spread cream cheese on in your vehicle, and you're like, it's everywhere. And so I had to go inside, and I just, I had just complained about it, by the way, and I'm sitting there spreading my cream cheese, and like, I don't know why they don't do this for you. This is not very good customer service, like all that stuff, you know? And there's these two guys sitting beside me that are just talking, and, and they start having like, you know, godly conversations, like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, that's, that's neat. And then uh, one of the guys is like, you know, I just really want to serve the Lord more. And he's like... My job gives me an opportunity to take two days a year to, to volunteer somewhere, and they'll pay for it. And he's like, I just don't know where to serve. Well, I work at Love, Inc. We allow people to serve. And so I'm like, excuse me, guys. Um, I'm Ethan. I work at Love, Inc. People serve there. <laughs> and so it was really kind of a cool conversation. And you know, kind of funny enough, that guy isn't serving, but the other guy is. Um, and it was really interesting at the time, like we had all this stuff going on and we're trying to figure out what we need to do with moving forward with Love, Inc. And, and this guy just happens to have a gifting that none of us have. And it was like the exact gifting that we needed for our ministry. And you're like, all right, God, like, you're really cool. You're really amazing. Um, you answer prayers that I don't even ask for because of my own selfishness and lack of thankfulness. How much more would you do if I just listened and gave thanks? Right, that story isn't about me at all because I was the one complaining. And God still used an opportunity to bring someone into our path that he had met for at that particular time. It was in spite of me, not because of me. I think the second thing is that um, in this aspect of uh, what does loving people look like. The second thing is it looks like kingdom living. 1 John 4 tells us that love casts out fear. 1 Peter 4, 8 tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs ten twelve tells us that love covers all offenses. Loving people looks like ushering in the kingdom. It looks like us praying for our friends and our family. It looks like us praying for our coworkers and our bosses, our pastors in our churches, our acquaintances, and annoying people. It looks like helping uh, with the warm shelter. It looks like Love, Inc. helping there. It looks like Comfort Care helping there. It looks like Valley Mission. It looks like extending 
hospitality to our neighbors right next door. It looks like us welcoming and greeting and extending hospitality to everyone that walks through these doors. It looks like us offering a family uh, to come over for dinner, even when it's not convenient for us. It looks like finding out about a coworker who needs help with their, their vehicle and we offer assistance. It looks like us engaging with our next door neighbors, even the ones who may call the HOA every single time that we do something wrong. It looks like us extending grace to a family who is, in your opinion, unlovable. It looks like sharing a card or a compliment to someone on the opposite side of a political aisle. It even looks like uh, loving someone with an Eagles jersey on. <laughs> Love you, Trevor. You know, we could keep going on and on and on, but really what loving people looks like is it looks like the kingdom in action. It looks like the way Christ loves us. It looks like 1 Corinthians 13 where it's patient and kind and it doesn't seek to boast about oneself. It looks like loving people in such a real way that we get past ourselves. Love is an action that ushers in the kingdom. It doesn't care about how you feel about a certain topic or a situation. A kingdom that isn't ours, a kingdom that is filled with the love of God and the work of God to the glory of God. It also looks like death to our kingdom. Here's the, the last section that I wanted to read out of Tor Corey Tim Boom's uh, book. But before I do that, I, I just wanted to share, I think, the, the, the biggest thing in the way of, of God's kingdom being ushered in is us stifling the spirit by allowing our continuum, kingdom to continue going. It's allowing the sin to continue to wrestle inside of us. It's allowing the flesh to, to win battles. It's, it's really allowing um, just for us to keep the reins on our lives. She says, as the cold increased, so did the special temptation of concentration camp life, the temptation to think only of oneself. And I was talking to Jennifer about this, and you're like, I mean, there's this lady who, may, she has like three possessions left in her entire life, and, and they're going to cause her to, to struggle with selfishness. Like, oh, I don't even want to get into my own life after reading this. I quickly discovered that when I maneuvered our way toward the middle of the roll call formation, we had a little protection from the wind. They would actually stand in formation for like four hours at like 4.30 in the morning in the middle of winter with like a dress. I knew this was self-centered. When Betsy and I stood in the center, someone else had to stand on the edge. How easy it was to give it other names. I was acting only for Betsy's sake. We were an important ministry and we must keep it well. It was colder in Poland than in Holland. These Polish women were probably more, were, were not feeling the chill the way we were. It's easy to deflect, isn't it? Defend. Selfishness has a life of its own. As I watched, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, mine's bag of yeast, compound disappear. I began taking it from beneath the straw only after lights out when the others could not see and asked for some. Wasn't Betsy's health more important? You see, God, she could do so much for them. Remember that house after the war? Betsy would always tell um, Corey Tim Boom that they were going to provide a house for, uh, for people after the war so that they could, they could love them well. Corey Tim Boom always said, yes, we're going to provide that for uh, the prisoners. And her sister Betsy would always say, and the guards as well. Hmm. Even if it wasn't right, it wasn't so very wrong, was it? Not wrong like sadism or murder and the other monstrous, monstrous evils we saw in Ravensbrook every day. Oh, this was the great ploy of Satan in the kingdom of his, to dispatch such a blatant evil that one could almost believe one's own secret sins didn't matter. 
The cancer spread. The second week of December, every occupant of Barracks 28 was issued an extra blanket. The next day, a large group of evacuees arrived from Czechoslovakia. One of them assigned to our platform had no blanket at all, and Betsy insisted that we give her one of ours. So that evening, I lent her a blanket, but I didn't give it to her. In my heart, I held on to that right to that blanket. Was it coincidence that joy and power imperceptibly drained from my ministry? My prayers took on a mechanical ring. Even Bible reading was dull and lifeless. Betsy tried to take over for me, but her cough made reading aloud impossible. And so I struggled on with worship and teaching that had ceased to be real until one drizzly raw afternoon when just enough light came through the window to read by. I came to Paul's account of his thorn in the flesh. Three times, he said, he had begged God to take away his weakness, whatever it was. And each time God had said, rely on me. At last, Paul concluded, the words seemed to leap from the page that his very weakness was something to give thanks for. Because now Paul knew that none of the wonders and miracles that followed his ministry could be due to his own virtues. It was all Christ's strength, never Paul's. The truth blazed like sunlight in the shadows of Barracks 28. The real sin I had been committing was not that of inching toward the center of a platoon because I was cold. The real sin lay in thinking that any power to help and transform came from me. Of course, it was not my wholeness, but Christ that made the difference. The short winter day was fading. I could no longer separate the words on the page, and so I closed the Bible. And to that group of women clustering close, I told the truth about myself, my self-centeredness, my stinginess, my lack of love. That night, real joy returned to my worship. Guys, I think the reality of our situation is that, um, again, I, I think of her situation and I just, you know, it'd be easy for all of us in the flesh to go, you're just trying to be like self-preserving, like you're just trying to take care of yourself and your sister. And yet for us to, to kind of examine our own lives and, and to realize that the thing that is getting in the way of us loving people is us. It's our selfishness. It's our pride. It's our arrogance. It's, it's the, the, the stifling of the spirit that comes because we want what we want and we want our kingdom. And we're still holding on to it. And one of the easiest things for us to do in this life to, to release control of that is to give thanks to God for everything that he gives us. Even fleas. Even a budget that we don't know how it's going to work. Even a car that sputters down the road. Even that person at work that makes you so angry that you go home and you cry. What is God doing in these situations that's allowing you to usher in the kingdom all around you so that people, when they look at you, they don't see you, but they see Christ. And they see his love for them. It's easy to say, love God, love people. But I know it in my heart throughout my entire day, throughout my entire life, it's the most difficult thing in the world because it means it's death to me. It means I have to allow God's spirit to, to love through me and to really usher in his kingdom, which isn't mine. And so that's really at the core of all of this is that we can't love God, we can't love people unless we die to ourselves and unless we allow the spirit to work in us and through us. And again, that's an easy thing to say. But I can tell you, we're all gonna walk outside of there and we're gonna get in our cars and something's gonna make us upset. 
And something's going to make us angry. Maybe it's our kid. Maybe it's our wife. Maybe it's the person that won't let you out at the, the road. You won't even make it 10 seconds before you're met with sin. And we all know that. I mean, let's be real about ourselves. We're all met. Like, you might be mad at the person sitting next to you right now. The arm around doesn't mean it. Okay, Jason? <laughs> Guys, I think we just need to be real with ourselves and say, God, I can't make it one step further on my own. I have no strength, no capacity, no will, no ability to, to do it. And for us to say, God, I need you. When, when you walk up to someone and you start having a conversation to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to shut up about? To close my mouth, because normally this is a moment that I would boast in myself. Or I would bring up something else that would completely squash the Spirit's work. Guys, I, I, being kingdom people is being mindful to allow the Spirit to work in our lives. It's saying, no more to my kingdom. And just don't do it. Okay? That's it. Guys, in the same way that, that Corey Ten Boom would, would later say like she would hold... It was difficult for her to forgive years later after, I mean, I can't even think about like, one, like just that terrible of amount of a, a situation to be able to forgive them. And then like two, two moments later, you're like, I got to forgive that person. Like they took my tea at work or my lunch, whatever. I, guys, I think it's just, it's really easy to say these words, to love God, love people, make disciples. It's really easy for my wife to get together and say, we want to be more intentional with our kids and never do a single thing about it, to never actually be intentional. And then honestly, then you just feel like shame and regret and frustration that you aren't doing what you said you were going to do. It's Romans 7. You met with the reality and then you're, ugh, I didn't do what I said I was going to do. So guys, this is the moment for all of us to say, I need your help, God. I need your help in getting up in the morning. I need your help in, in, in walking through my day. I need your help when I'm met with the person that I actually do like. I'm, I need your help when I'm met with the person that frustrates me and makes me cry in my bed. All and in between. God, I need you to help me. Holy Spirit, change me. And yet at the same time, God is saying, take the first step in obedience and I will work in you and through you. Right? It's not passive. It's not like, God, help me. Okay, now I'm going to go about my day doing what I normally do. Take that first step of obedience and allow the Spirit to work in coordination with your faith. So, how do we love people? Maybe somebody else can help me out with that because I do a really bad job at it. It isn't an option. We don't push it off for another day. It's not another stage in life that we get to do it. We have to go beyond loving people we enjoy loving means examining our hearts, praying that God would change us to work through us to the glory of his name while we take steps in obedience to love people even when we don't want to. So I just want you guys to think through that a little bit maybe this week. Like, who's that person that I can love a little bit better this week that I would have never cared to love? Let's pray.
God, you are good and kind and faithful. God, you, you are patient. You are kind. Your love does not envy. It is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. You bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Help us to do that. It's really easy to list this off, but God, we need your spirit to help us and, and help us take that first step in obedience. Give us, give us thoughts on how we might be able to love people better. Lord, spur our hearts to pray for people in ways that we've never prayed before. That, that you might give us the eyes to see how you see people, God. That you might give us eyes to love people in a way that we've never experienced before, but help us to take that first step in obedience. And Lord, may the culture of our church expand far beyond these walls. Not for us to be made glorified, but for you to be made glorified. God, do this work amongst us, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, just pray that as you guys leave that ask God to help you through those doors. Maybe we can make it at least two blocks down the road. No, but in, in all seriousness, may God give you his spirit to, to allow the love to be brought and, and pushed forth so that his kingdom is, is, is displayed in our lives in such a way that people know it's not us because it can't be from us. If people can explain our love, then we're probably not doing it very well. So go forth with that. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.